the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Total Financial Hour is pre-recorded and brought to you by Total Financial Solutions. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arif Halaby. Welcome to the Total Financial Hour. I'm Arif Halaby. Thanks for being with me on this hour of the program. Hope you're having a great Sunday morning. So we talk about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for your future. That's what it's all about. When you look into the mirror each and every day, you have to remember two things. Number one, this is a day you're never going to get back. It's gone. It's over. At the end of today, it's over. How do you take care of your family? How do you make sure that financially, whatever it is that you want to achieve, whether it's leaving a legacy, financially speaking, whether it's, of course, leaving a legacy because you, you support charities or nonprofits, you have to have a purpose. You have to have something that you were here for. And, and I'm going to venture to guess that most of you think you're here for something bigger than just consuming, right? A lot of people think life is just about consuming. They think life is just about getting things, stuff. Well, I'm going to tell you, I think it's different than that. I think for a lot of people, you forget that, that the fact is, Life is much more important than just existing. It's about trying to be in a way where your friends and family can look at you and be proud. You know, listen, not all of us are going to be able to have our name on the side of a school business or library building or or an office building or hospital. That That's not maybe in the cards for most of us. It isn't something that financially we say that's what we're going to do next. But you can have your name on the side of your, uh, metaphorically speaking, your children, your grandchildren. You can create a way to have a legacy, financially speaking, for their education. Because I'm going to tell you, I think the student loan crisis is about to come to a head. Now, the great news is that the whole digital world records all of my studio, all of my my radio shows going back, uh, I don't know, 15 years, right? Probably 3,000. 2,500, 3,000 radio shows. So we've done thousands of these shows. My name, everything is out there. I cannot say I didn't say it. Uh, Sometimes I wish I could, right? We all make mistakes. Uh, But one of the things that I did say is that the education system that we know and love will collapse. It cannot happen. It will not happen. Both that and the pension system. But let's talk about the education system for a minute. The only reason that universities colleges exist, the way that they exist, with all of these layers of administrators, the professors, the only reason they have country club-like atmospheres and dorms that that rival the Ritz-Carlton, very simply, is because they're competing for your money and, hey, surprise, it's really the government's money, i.e. the rest of you as a taxpayer. It means that these folks are not on the hook for their own dollars, the, the universities. My contention is this. If a university is going to offer a product, they got to stand behind it. If their product is 
a degree in female gender studies of the 18th century, you know, Western African, I mean, silly. Or the habits of the mating tsetse fly, and we're going to give you a degree in biology so you can specialize in a specialty that is very specialized. And nobody cares. And nobody wants to give you any money. So you have $150,000 in student loan debt you're never going to pay back. So that, oh, I don't know, you can make $32,000 a year. And after taxes, you walk with maybe 2000 a month. So keep in mind that in this process of going to college, for your children or grandchildren, you may have the ability to have a legacy where you leave behind your own scholarship trust fund. Now, I want to encourage you to think about this for a minute. If you want to have a lasting legacy, just like I believe the only way the universities are going to succeed, and it's just going to be the same thing as we always thought. Look, universities, the cost of tuition is through the roof. Why is it so expensive? Simply because the government got involved. Look what happened to the price of health care. Went up. Look at that price of solar panels on your home. It went up. Look at the price of solar car or of uh, electric cars. They're up. Right? If the technology is that great, then don't give me a subsidy. Because imagine that. If I was putting solar panels on my roof and the cost was $20,000 and the government comes out with a $7,000 subsidy, state and federal, what do you think happens to the price of the solar panels on my roof? Oh, wait. 27000 You know, it's already happened. So as this starts to change and the price of college goes up faster than the price of inflation, and we're trying to figure out where these layers of, of administrators, right? If you listen to, to Dennis, program, uh, Dennis uh, Prager's program in the last few weeks, you heard him talk to a, an author from uh, Sarah Lawrence College, and he talks about Look, I did a study, folks. This is him talking, right? I did a study, folks, and I found out that the layers of administrators, number one, they're so far left and they're so unnecessary. Their job is to coddle. Think of communist minders, right? If you walked around communist, the Soviet Union or Cuba or Vietnam or China, and you were of any significance where they wanted to control you, that a minder, and their job was to listen to you to listen to you talk, to watch uh, what you watch, and to correct you, to keep you from saying, meeting anybody that they didn't want you to, talking to anybody. No, thank you. Nope, you can't ask that question. Keep moving. And today, the progressives do the exact same thing at the university level. They don't allow other people to come and talk. They don't, they don't say to, to those that are interrupting a professor or a student who has a different point of view that they don't agree about, agree with. And it's gone so out of control since the Obama administration. I mean, do you realize, think about, I think we will go down in history as a country who had an opportunity to go decades forward, strides forward in race relations and gender relations and all the stuff that we could have done. Had the Obama administration came in and said, okay, guys, enough is enough. We're done with this victim culture. We're done with this mindset that says, you know, everybody uh, is offended because you're offended. I'm offended about being offended. Right. Instead of right and wrong, the goal is to now not offend. And if you have a room full of 10 people and one person is offended, who's the variable? It's the person that's offended. That means it's your problem, not mine. 
And then everybody's afraid about losing their business, about protests and online boycotts. The people forget to stand up for what's right and what's wrong. And so if you want to control with your values, your money, deciding on which kid goes to which college, you actually get to do that through a scholarship fund. Because we know that for decades, this institutional indoctrination that has happened, and even my friends on the left, right, when nobody's looking, they'll look over their shoulder, the left, they'll look over to the right, like they're checking for that government minder. And they'll say, well, yeah, if you're right, schools are pretty far darn liberal. And every time I try to bring up a a different point of view, they shout me down. They make me look silly. They embarrass me in front of the, the class. So what happens if you're a student? You're like, man, I'm just here for the grade. Right? If you have any sense of independence, you're like, look, I've got two years left and I'm out of here. I don't want any problems. I have two part-time jobs. My grandma's sick. I'm taking care of my dad. Everybody has other things to do. So it's the crazies in the middle that scream and yell and who do what? Well, they get all the attention, don't they? But if you want your dollars through a life insurance policy, through the beneficiary in your retirement accounts, to go to, or, or your rental properties that are not in retirement, just your rental properties, your, your current residents. If you wanted to circumvent your kids who blow, blew their money, your daughter who's not great with dollars, your son who has made some poor financial choices, and you're saying, listen, I wanted to go to my next generation where my values and my, my morals are set up, you can create a trust that's job is to have scholarship qualifications. I'm going to briefly talk about it. You're going to need to speak with an attorney to set this up, but I'm going to give you some guidelines, the questions to ask. Meaning this, you can say, listen, when I pass away, all the dollars are sold. They go into this account. They're managed this way. I don't want to lose the principal. I want to talk about fixed indexed accounts, right? I want safety. I don't want to lose. I don't want to pay a fee where money goes backwards and I lose my principal. I worked for this money. It's over. I can't go back to work. I'm dead. (laughs) So how do I do this? Right? So, so you create this account and then you create a criteria. So every year, whatever the interest is or 2% of the principal plus the interest, you get to decide. So every year, dollars are taken out. They go into a bucket. And if you are my child or grandchild or great-grandchild or any, any offspring adopted or otherwise, then you are allowed to apply to a group of people. Now, I would recommend an odd number, three or five. Maybe the heads of the family, right? The, if you have four children, four a representative from each family. If you have three kids, three. And each one of them sit on the board. In other words, they make the decision and the criteria is set by you. The kids can't use drugs. They can't be arrested. They have to create, they have to go to any one of these five colleges. You can create any kind of criteria you want. We told our kids, look, we'll pay for any school as long as it's this one or this one. (laughs) We'll pay for any of these two. I don't want to send you away so you come back hating me or think America is a place that it isn't. I think America is an amazing place. Right? Look into a room. Walk into a restaurant. Walk into a, a boardroom. And you see people whose backgrounds, and you don't have to go back too many generations, one or two, or maybe even first generation. Immigrant families. 
that have come from other parts of the world. Some of them nearly died to get here. Some of them sold off everything to get here. And I'm going to send my child to a college so that when when they come back, they think the U.S. is an evil empire. Forget you. Right? I worked for this money. I'll give it to a... I'll give it to homeless people or something before I give it to a, to that university. So your criteria in setting up one of these scholarship funds can allow your kids to have funds, money, so that they're not reliant on the government rules. So they get to select the college that they want to attend so that they get a degree in an area. Because here's what I think is going to happen. I think the colleges are going to say, we're not going to, we're not going to ensure these weird gender study uh, degrees, because we know you can't make any money. We'll take the government's money and we'll pass the responsibility on to you and the government. And we'll take the cash. But when the, the school is now required, and I think only schools with large endowments. In other words, if you're a university that has billions of dollars, then you can afford to pay for your kids, underwrite for them to attend your school and require them to pay you back. Right? You're going to be the bank. So if you are a smaller college or a college that didn't manage its funds properly or paid its administrators or had layers of, of administrators in between the student and the president, and it's all of this wasteful dollars to just to try to, to watch what people say and the way they say it and, and to make sure free speech zones. When you have that and they don't have a financial backing, surprise, they'll go out of business. Or I think what they'll do is they will become so irrelevant that they're going to have to find relevancy on an online university. So there will be mergers. There'll be two schools that'll become four. And they'll merge together. They'll have one campus, one set of administrators, and a huge online presence. And they still will be required to underwrite it. They'll still give you a loan, and the school will have to put up its real estate as a loan to make sure you will pay it back. I think that's required. The government might say, listen, we're going to give a student loan, but it's only going to be $5,000 a year. I don't know. Pick a number. And if you want your kids to still have choices or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, then consider creating one of these scholarship trusts. Because I believe what it does is it gives you kind of some choices and some options, right? So why would I say that? Because I think there's a life insurance part of your life that needs to be addressed. Here's what I mean by that. Life insurance isn't just when your children are young. It is important, right? You need to rent a bag of money and you need to say, listen, I'll pay $50 a month. And if I pass away, my family gets 500000 So that if I die in the next 10 years, my home is paid off. Money is set aside for my children's college. Uh, My spouse can take their time going back to work. But as the kids get older, as you have built up your retirement accounts, as you've paid down your debt, your need for that type of life insurance might be less. But the need for other types of life insurance might be greater. For example, legacy planning. For example, income planning. Right? You might say, listen, my house is paid off, but I can't take a piece of drywall to go to the grocery store. All right? A lot of people say, oh, I want to pay off my house. You remember it used to be that way? Right? There's a reason that we have 30-year mortgages. 30-year mortgages is very simple. So that by the time you're retired, your mortgage is paid off. 
because they figured this. Look, by the time you're a young man and you get settled and you're really mature, you're 25, maybe 30 years old. You'll be married to a 22, maybe 25-year-old lady. By the time you're done working, you're 60, maybe 65. Hence, your 30-year mortgage. Because nobody moved around every two years, every four years. Very few people flipped and watched Property Brothers and and uh, Chip and Joanne, uh, you know, flip a house. That wasn't normal back then. So a 30-year mortgage. But what is today now? Today you have 40-year mortgages, 50-year mortgages. I even saw a 90-year mortgage. So when you see this kind of real significant debt, the reason is because you and I buy a house based on its payment, not on how much it costs. And so when people do that, The need for life insurance goes beyond normal retirement age because many people will carry debt, mortgage debt, in and through retirement. In other words, they're okay making a a house payment of two or $3,000 a month because their income is substantial and it's just part of life. And plus, I want to live in this area and I like the the housing in this area. I like this lifestyle. So they kind of build a, a plan that says I'm willing to live in this in this uh, life, but but I'm willing to live in this neighborhood. But when I die, I don't want my money to go to the government. I don't want to lose everything. So what do they do? It's very simple. You have a life insurance policy that goes beyond just the time when your kids are young. All right. So important you know that because it isn't just something that is a temporary deal anymore. It used to be because your home was paid off in thirty years. Not anymore. And as you're doing that, you might say, well, look, I have a life insurance policy. I'm ready to to retire. I don't even need it anymore. I've done very well. Financially, I've done well. My kids have done well. I'm proud of them. Even my grandkids are done with college. I'm proud of them. What do I need this life insurance policy for? Well, if you're interested in having a legacy, right? Remember I mentioned you and I may not be uh, financially capable of putting our name on the side of a university's business school or a hospital, emergency room, left, you know, east wing or something. But you can do a couple of things. You can go through and say, I am interested in creating a legacy that goes and permeates society. Because my specialty, let's say you were in medicine. Your wife's a nurse, you're a physician. I really like medicine. I think what has happened, this is you speaking, right? I think what's happened to the medical world with massive amounts of caps on on uh, Medicare and the way the cost of insurance has gone through the roof and da, da, da. so I want to be able to have my kids any one of my offspring that want to go into the medical field and here's a list of professions right nurse RN a physician uh, nurse practitioner physician assistant medical assistant I mean you can go on and on you can list 10 15 20. So anybody that wants to earn a degree, or or, or I, we will be willing to pay up to ten thousand a year, fifty uh, percent of tuition. You get to pick the number, and I want that to go through step by step by step. My my scholarship trust for my children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. Okay, because, you know, this is important. I I don't think education is going to go away, but it has changed. Because do you guys remember when 
I, I always think this is so funny and silly. Remember when they used to say knowledge is power? Ha 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 ha. Knowledge is power. Oh yeah, that's cute. Well, listen, it, it used to be the case because there was an assumption that knowledge was far away and we had to go get it. Right? There's an assumption that the only way you that, that you got knowledge was by going to a four year school. And if you were somebody that grew up in a farm, you know, my mom grew up in a Michigan farm, six kids, two girls, four boys. If they had enough money to send one person to child uh, to, to, to uh, college, because everybody else is working on the farm, it's a big farm, who did you send to school? Did you send your youngest daughter or did you send your oldest boy? Mm, that's right. If you had enough, if you scraped and saved, you sent one child to college and it was almost always the boy. If you worked in a factory, if you were uh, worked in a small store or a little business or the farm and picking fields, whatever, your job, ranch, you sent one child to college, maybe. And you all sat around, you checked your watch and you said, don't worry, junior will be back in three or four or five or six years and they will bring knowledge with them. And we all waited around the table and the, we did our work and we mowed the fields and sure enough, junior shows up and what did you learn? Right? Because knowledge and wisdom kind of kept pace with each other. Well, of course, knowledge sometimes a little bit more. And boy, what a dumb decision that would make. Well, I'm never going to do that again. But today, the world has changed. No longer did you have to send somebody away to get knowledge. Now knowledge comes to you. No longer did you have to pay to get knowledge. It's now free. And now that knowledge is free, you need to understand something. Why in the daylights are you spending, borrowing, uh, mortgaging your home, spending so much money to go get knowledge. Because in my opinion, you don't need to anymore. I've Listen, we have many employees that work for me. I have, a, I have four offices. We're blessed to have an office in uh, the Antelope Valley, all the way up in the, in the Palmdale, Lancaster area. We have an office down in, in the Glendale area, of course, uh, Simi Valley, Santa Clarita. And we even have a, a sub office down in Long Beach. So for those of you down in the South Bay, we were able to meet you there. But consider this for a minute. Nobody's ever come and worked for me. And I said, hey, what did you get on your 11th grade history test? I, I, I don't care. What do I care about? When my wife and I started our own scholarship fund, we did so because we cared about character. What I did is I said, when people work for me, right? This is what I'm thinking. Are you going to steal from me? Are you going to show up on time? Are you going to get along well with others? Are you going to be creative to continue to learn? Right? Those kinds of things are not found in a, in a test question or a degree uh, you know, offered by some university. Of course, those things are important. But today you can learn sitting in your home. I want to learn how to build a nuclear reactor. Boop, 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 boop. Type it in. I want to learn to speak French. Here it is. I want to learn quantum physics. Just go ahead and enter that in. In fact, you can just speak it. Hi, Siri. Hey, Google. Send me. How do I learn? So it isn't anymore the idea for you to, to create the opportunity to spend and mortgage your life just so that you could Go out and get knowledge. So I think you got to be prepared. If you manage your wealth, if you did it well, even if you did it on accident, 
right? You didn't know. You just bought a house, and then the snakes, the house next door to you, became available. And when that became available, hey, you just bought that too, and you you were lucky. Maybe you inherited money. How do you honor the inheritance of the next person? Well, we're going to talk about that after the break. We're going to get into Sue to what I think are the the ethical. We're going to talk about some of the technical, but the ethical part of receiving an inheritance. Because you understand it's not your money. It wasn't your time. It wasn't your effort. It wasn't even your knowledge that created that income. And now somebody is transferring it to you. How do you take care of that? What do you do and how do you do it properly? So that you honor, you respect, you build. And you do it in a way so that you're not going to dishonor the memory of the person who was here. Right? So we're going to cover that when we get back. Folks, scholarship, trust, consider it. It might be a place for you to leave your money. If education matters to you, especially if it's a particular career field or if it's a particular way, it just might make a difference. Thanks for being with me. We're going to continue just in a few minutes right after the break as we continue with the Total Financial Hour, the safer money place right here on your place for news, talk, and information. This is AM870. The answer. Higher income strategy. I'll retire comfortably. Thanks to Arab Halaby. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arab makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power. The total financial hour. Learn about financial power. The total financial hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now- hey folks, welcome back to the program. I'm Eric Hallaby, and your place for news, talk, and information. This is the Total Financial Hour. This is your Safer Money Hour. We're, look, t- TFS Financial Insurance Services. Boy, we're tongue-tied today. We bring this to you every week. We're talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future, and how do you do it the right way? How do you kind of build your your estate, your your legacy, so that when you are passing the wealth on to the next generation, you do so in a way that, uh, listen, I say honors it. Maybe you're the one that inherited it. Uh, let me give you kind of a, a list of things that I think really matter, okay? I'm going to tell you some things that we did, that we've done for clients, that they have done. And then I want to kind of review what some of the rules are when you do inherit the money, what some of the things you have to do, you can never do, and then you can decide, but I think some things you should do. All right, let's start with this. If you are young enough and you know that when you pass away, you're going to be leaving a substantial amount of money. Now, I don't know what that number is. It's going to matter to you and your family, but let's say it's two or 300000 per beneficiary. Meaning, if they took it all in a lump sum, they're going to pay half of it in taxes, right? It's just such a large number. Uh, Maybe it's millions. Maybe when you pass away between insurance and investments and real estate, retirement accounts, all of that is said and done. It's millions of dollars. So if you're young enough to where you can say to yourself, I know I'm not going to spend all of this money. I have a great pension. I have income that comes in from my rental properties. I'm never going to need this money, barring any some sort of huge catastrophe. So I expect my children or grandchildren to inherit it. Well, let me give you a couple of of guidelines. Number one, I would never tell them exactly how much they're going to receive. Because when you do, people tend to spend money before they make it. And you know it. You know who those kids are, those grandkids. You know that Susie couldn't keep a dollar in her pocket and Jimmy spent $1.50 every time he had a dollar. You knew that. You know that. 
you love them, but you also know that you can't give them a dollar figure because maybe it's going to change. Maybe it goes up, maybe it goes down, right? So, so keep that in mind. All right. I don't want you to tell them that's number one, but what do I want you to do number two? I want you to, to have them sit down and, and have a little financial class. Give them a requirement. You can either make up a test, if you will, on your own. You can go online and find a bunch of financial, basic financial questions and quizzes and testing and about budgeting or spending money or should you buy or lease a car? What is best? When should you do what? Taxes? How do they work? Because what I have found is when people inherit money, when our clients come to me and inherit money, two things happen. Number one, they're really scared because they probably have never had as much money as this is. And number two is they want to honor the legacy. We had a client who's recent, who, whose brother recently passed away. Pretty unexpected. And the man saved his whole life to do something with the money. Who knows what it is? It could have been anything. Go fishing, buy a cabin in the woods, buy a fancy sports car. But he passed away rather rapidly from the time he was sick. And now all of the money he saved, all of the dreams that he had for those dollars are gone. Except they now live in his brother. So the funds that that you are going to inherit, they're different. I know you look at it and you say a dollar is a dollar or the account says a a thousand or says 200,000, 200 is... No, it isn't, guys. Listen, maybe other financial professionals don't even talk about this. I don't know. But I can tell you this. We have seen that it matters more and more. It matters more and more to our clients to walk through life remembering where the funds come from. If you want to be a gambler, you want to take risks, you want to buy that individual stock or that initial public offering or the the roulette wheel or you like to play craps in Vegas, you want to do any of that stuff, fantastic. Do it with your money. Because then when you lose, tough luck, it's your money. But if it's somebody else's money, I think we owe it to them to be a bit more cautious, don't we? To be a little bit safer. So we don't lose it when the market goes backwards, when Russia says something or China or the president or Congress, when suddenly GM says they're going to open or close or Amazon moves its headquarters. You know, what happened to the real estate prices in the region when earlier this year, Amazon said, we're not going to actually open in New York because of the new congresswoman and the local uh, crazy progressive wing. Now, Listen, Jeff Bezos is a fairly liberal guy. He's a progressive but he's also a capitalist. So in his mind, it's about money. And he said, hey, listen, we're not interested in working with you, right? Because rubber meets the road. By the time everything's said and done, you pick the little uh, colloquial terms. When it's all said and done, it's about the money. And it is and should be when you're passing it on to your kids, except there should be strings attached. So if you're young enough, I'd have them attend a class. We've run classes like this before. We, we have the family sit in a room and we, we have the kids and the grandkids and we say, here's, here's the difference between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. Here's what buying a car means. Here's what leasing a car means. Here are the different definitions of auto insurance, right? You, you have a bodily injury and liability and comprehensive and collision. In other words, things that nobody ever talked to them about before. Because remember, you hit 18 years old and everybody just goes, hey, surprise, you now can sign your name. You can sign your name to a student loan where you're on the hook for the next 25 years. You may not even be able to spell student loan depending on what public school district you, uh, you know, were out of, but certainly you can sign your name to it. 
So I, I want you to have some sort of classes. That's important. The next thing that I want you to do, if you receive an inheritance, right? So, so that's giving it away. You lay out some guidelines. I want you to, to have them have some classes to teach them. Bring them in under your wing if you want to keep the rental property in the family. If you couldn't care less, then you better teach them how to know whether or not it's the right time to sell instead of just telling them to put it on the market and nobody cares, right? Tough luck. Who cares? Let the market do what it does, right? Because they don't care. They don't care if it's a dollar or $10. They're going to, it doesn't matter to them. They'll sell it. They'll take their dollar and leave. But what happens when all of a sudden you're in a position to receive the money? What are some of the things that you should keep in place? What are some of the, the rules, the regulations? What are some of the things that you have to do if you inherit money? Well, number one, remember there's a difference between real estate and cash type accounts. And then inside of the cash type accounts, there are differences as well. So let's start with real estate. Under current law here in California, when it passes in federal government, when it passes from parent to child, you get what's called a step up in basis. Now, here's all that that means. If your parents bought a house for $40,000 back in the 70s, and today it's worth a million, they are able to give you all million dollars minus the 40. All of that is tax-free. In other words, it's a step up from 40000 to a million. Cash money, here it is in your pocket. No taxes. Income tax. That means that if you hold on to it, and in two years you sell it for $1.1 million, okay, $100,000 is subject to taxes. But the million is not. So when somebody passes away, if you inherit property, you need to make sure you have an appraisal. Now, the appraisal should be done as of the date of passing. You might have to wait a little bit, right? You might be six months by the time you figure it all out. Maybe your head's not on straight. But don't forget to do it. And you can ask the appraiser, hey, I know I'm asking you to appraise this property, but today... Uh, I, I need the appraisal as of this date, four months ago, six months ago, a year ago, all right? So that that number will now be your new floor. That's real estate. If it is, and that's going from parent to child, husband to wife, wife to husband, parent to child, all right? So spouses, siblings, uh, not accept. Uh, siblings are not accepted. So parent to my cousin? Nope. You may have different rules. All right. Here's where it gets a little tricky. In the cash world, you have retirement accounts and you have non-retirement accounts. If it's a retirement account, it's beneficiary driven. If it's a retirement account that is called an IRA, individual retirement account, or a 401k, which means it's a for-profit company, or you work for a school district, hospital, research facility, nonprofit, yours is called what? A 403b. Okay? Also known as a TSA or tax sheltered annuity. If you work for the federal government, like post office or, or JPL, those kinds of organizations, they have things called TSP, Thrift Savings Plan. If you work for a city, state, county, yours is probably called a deferred comp, deferred compensation, also known as a 457. All right. So all of these have their own codes and they have their own names, but what does that mean to you? It just means that in those situations I gave you, the dollars have never been taxed. So you inherit it. Well, you have to pay tax on the money. You don't get to escape it. Even if it goes to a, from the next generation to the next to the next, they have to take out the money. There's a, a sequence of uh, dollars through a formula that you have to withdraw the money. If you withdraw it properly, then you can stretch it out over the rest of your life. 
You can take it out sooner, but you don't have to. But if you don't, then you default to what's called the five-year rule. So let's say you didn't take money out of the retirement account for the, next, for the last two years. No problem. But five years and five minutes, all of those dollars have to be out. So you may not be able to manage it as well because the clock is going to tick and those five years are going to come and go and you're stuck. So I want you to think about this for a minute. How do you create an ability for somebody else to receive the funds or for you to receive the funds, but in an unknown tax environment, right? We don't know what the tax brackets are going to be in the future uh, when you pass away or when you receive it or when you're going to take it out. Who knows? We just know what they are now. They could change all the time, but we don't know well, what are they going to be tomorrow? Who knows? All right. When, when you inherit those dollars, when you're bringing them into your life from, a, from an IRA or a 401k kind of plan, you're not going to be able to keep all those funds because you have to pay income tax based on your tax bracket. So if you are somebody that is already a high income earner or you don't have any more write-offs and now here's surprise is $10,000 a year or 50000 a year you have to withdraw, you're kind of stuck. So there are some ways for you to manage those funds to continue to skip a generation. You might say, listen, I want this money to go to my children. My parents really wanted it to go to my kids, but they didn't think they were old enough or mature enough, but I'm stuck having to withdraw it every, every year. So I don't want to just take out 20000 pay taxes and end up with twelve, and then give my kids 12000 because they can't. How do we make sure that they get all twenty? One way to do it is to take those funds, that $12,000, and consider buying a life insurance policy with some or part of it. So you're allowed to bring in those funds. They're into your life. 20000 you got to pay tax on it. Pay the tax. What's left? Consider buying a life insurance policy where your trust is the beneficiary. Why do I say a life insurance policy? Simply because a life insurance policy is tax-free when it's inherited. So you're taking a taxable account like a 401k or an IRA. It's coming into your life. You pay the taxes like you're legally or obligated. And then you consider buying a life insurance policy, which now, when it goes to the next generation or to your spouse or to the trust, it's all tax-free. The reason this is an important part of the conversation is, number one, don't forget to check with your tax advisor, right? Your CPA. Never take tax advice as if I'm speaking to you. I'm not a CPA, right? I want These are concepts. These are ideas for you to speak with your financial professional. If you choose to work with us, it's our honor. We'd love to meet with you. That's why I give out the phone number, 888-99-RETIRE, 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. Okay, that's the way you get a hold of us, 997-3847. All right. Maybe we can help you. But you still would have to have a CPA because I want experts in their field. What I don't like is when anybody comes on the radio or TV or meets you in person and says, I can do it all. I am an expert. You go, okay. What does that mean? He says, well, listen, I am good at everything. Oh, okay. So let's talk about this. I'm going to be taking my family on a ride across the country. And if I do... And I have one person who's going to fix my car. Does that make sense? I want to trust my transmission to the same person who I'm going to trust my oil change. And I need to make sure that my windshield wipers are changed. I want good windshield wipers. Oh, oh, and really important, I need to make sure my brakes work because they're making funny noises. So do you say I want one person to fix all of that? 
Or do I want the person that does the breaks every single day, day in and day out, 5, 10, 20 times a week? That person who fixes the brakes, I want them to work on my brakes. I don't want the guy who changes the oil to, by the way, fix my brakes. I'm going up and down mountains and valleys through Colorado and the Sierra Nevadas. I need to make sure that my brakes are going to hold up. You have the most important things in my life in that automobile. So whenever a financial professional will say, we do it all, we handle uh, bonds and stocks and ETFs and annuities and variable and fixed and CDs and financial planning and your insurance and you go, golly, gee. One, first of all, that requires a bunch of different licenses, which means, great, you have to be tested in all those areas. But if I went to a doctor, and I'm sure the doctor took a class in something to do with orthopedics, right? You have to. You take a basics. But the doctor is a family practice doctor. He makes sure that my ears are clear and I can pass my physical for whatever I'm doing next. But if I have a broken arm, I don't want the same guy. They're both called doctors, but I don't want the same. I mean, do you get my point, guys? So when I, I share this with you because what we do day in and day out is safe money. Don't ask me about stock options and ETFs and bonds and mutual. That's not what we do. We're not licensed for it. I used to be. We did it all the time. I found that you had to be so good in both areas and I was doing a disservice to you by pretending. And yes, I say they pretend. By pretending to be great at everything. Because you can only be good. Really, you can only be great at one thing. Maybe two in your life. So I decided to focus 20 years ago on safety. That's it. We're not going to lose your money. You have protection of principle. So when you inherit these funds, I think you have to consider some or, or, or part or maybe all of it in a safer place. Because these funds, you cannot gamble. You can't be foolish with them. Somebody passed away and they were not able to live the life that they wanted to live. And they looked at you and when they wrote it down or typed it in a, in a computer on a, on a website, they said to themselves, okay, I'm going to pass the baton. I can only go so far in this race, but at least... I know that somebody else can go the next journey. They're going to honor my effort. They're going to respect the things that I've worked hard for. So as a firm, we take that very seriously. Uh, in fact, it's a bit of an emotional thing when I work with inherited money. Uh, maybe for others, it's sign, name, address, fill out the forms, bye-bye. But I, I think it's greater than that. I think it's much bigger than that. I think it's an amount of dollars that have come into your life because somebody looked at the entire world of nonprofits, of relationships, of friends, family, cousins, siblings, everybody, and said, you are the one that's going to receive these funds. Don't let me down. Well, we won't let you down because what we do is we protect that principle. We're not going to gamble it. We don't play those games. That's not what we do. You could earn a heck of a lot more interest with somebody else potentially. Yeah, that's right. You could also lose, right? We're not going to make you rich, but I'm going to keep you from being broke. We're not going to double that inheritance in five years. That's not our goal, but it's to keep you from losing it. It's to get reasonable gains. And more importantly than all of that, it's to honor the person who worked hard and decided you were the one that was going to receive it. Look, sometimes we receive what's called non-cash uh, inheritance, a family heirloom, a rug, a uh, it, it could be anything from a painting, an ancient uh, whatever in the family. It could be 
your grandmother's ring. It could be the silverware. So those kinds of things that are going to be passing from generation to generation that have sentimental value and maybe financial value, but certainly sentimental value. If you're still building that part of your will or your trust, then I want to make sure that you uh, signify that each thing goes somewhere. It could be your collection of guns. It could be your collection of uh, porcelain dolls. It doesn't matter. And put in there a provision that says if you might think they like them because they come over and they comment on them. But if they don't want them, then you may want to consider, well, sorry, I want them to go where? To a charity or to a nonprofit or to the Salvation Army. Right? Do your research on the difference between goodwill and Salvation Army. See if you like one versus the other. I can tell you that the CEO of Salvation Army makes about forty or $50,000 a year. Reports on the CEO of Goodwill is around a million dollars a year. I don't know. You decide where you want your funds to go. I love, not like, I love the Salvation Army. I've been a part of, of nonprofits where they've done some amazing work. They've donated things that are just off the charts. I have no idea why they are so generous, but the Salvation Army has always been there. Consider that as an option. That's just my thing. All right. When we're talking about keepsakes, though, understand that sometimes you're the only one that thinks that they're valuable because an heirloom has an emotional connection to it. And you might say, I'm going to sell this for $1,000 and somebody offers you $50. Ask around the siblings before you sell it. Ask around the grandchildren before you sell it because you might not know that somebody thinks it's a very special and important thing. Because in inheriting money, everybody wants money. Give me free stuff. Give me money. Everybody will take it. But a rug or grandma's uh, you know, pictures or picture frame from the 20s or you know, whatever it might be, sometimes people say, I have enough junk. And you might think, oh my word, these are not junk. This is not junk. But there is an option in that story where you can say, I'm going to find an organization that values this very similarly. And it might be somebody that's not even related to the formula, the family. It might be somebody that is completely outside, but they just happen to collect porcelain dolls. Nobody else cares about them. But this lady or this organization or this museum in Topeka, Kansas, they love it. All right, so th- so consider that as an option. There's a great show on Fox Business called uh, My Strange Inheritance. And it's a good time for you to, to, you can look at it and pay attention and see you know, what, where the, the funniness is and in, in what to do with it. Okay. Here's another thing I want you to think about as we go through this process. You're going to be in, in many different, uh, relationships in your life in a business relationship. Now you might say, no, I won't. Yes, you will. Especially if your parents or grandparents own a, uh, a cabin or a vacation home or a place in the mountains, or the river, or the ocean. And most of you, are now all of you own one-eighth of it, whatever the formula turns out to be, one-tenth. And you got to decide who's going to be the one uh, with uh, who, who owns it. Who's going to be the one that manage it, manages it? Who's going to be the one that decides, I get Christmas this year, not you? So that is where it's going to get tricky. So if you're somebody who is going to be leaving a vacation home in the mountains or, you know, at this, at the coast, then I want you to make sure that you lay out a calendar ahead of time. Do it now. 
right? You can start with birth order, youngest to oldest, oldest to youngest. It doesn't matter. And you say, we're going to rotate years. Or if it's two of them, you get odd, I get even. So we rotate. If there's four kids, then every fourth year I get Christmas. Oh, I want to swap that? So I want to swap it with my sister? That's up to me. It's up to her. But you lay it out ahead of time so that they don't fight. Right? The last thing you want to do is have a legacy where your grandchildren's great-grandchildren never speak to the other side of the family. What a, what a miserable life. Keep all of my money. I prefer my family be close. But you don't, you don't want the, well, we don't talk to that side of the family. Well, why, Grandma? I don't really know, but we just don't. That's miserable, guys. All right? So if you're going to leave something like a, uh, a piece of property or a, a farm or a ranch or whatever it might be, and it's going to be staying in the family for generations to come, consider a rotation ahead of time. Lay it out for the next hundred years. The Smith family and their offspring, they get it like this. And then they can change anytime they want. Consider publishing the calendar on a family website. So everybody knows it's this weekend, it's Jimmy's turn. Hey, Jimmy, I want to change. Can I change? Oh, yeah, sure. You can have it. I'm going to be gone. All right? People can barter. They can swap. I'll give you two for one of mine. Right? It's okay. But if you lay the groundwork, they're not going to be mad at you. But they could be mad at each other. Just some wisdom, stuff that I've learned over the years, working 23 years in the financial business with, gosh, I don't know, over a 1,000 people have come through my office, probably more than that. And a good opportunity for you to hopefully learn. You can always give us a call. We're Total Financial Solutions. TFS Financial and Insurance Services, our job is to sit down and help you keep some or part of your money safe or all of it if you want and keep it out of the market risk. You've made your money. Now it's time to not lose your money. That's what we're here for. We're going to make you, well, we're going to keep you from being broke at least. We're never going to make you rich, but we'll keep you from losing it all. I'm here every week at this time talking about your family's finances. Arif Hallaby on the Total Financial Hour. Thanks for listening. 888 retire Give us a call all week long. We're here at the office. 888 retire That's 888-997-3847. Thanks again on AM870, The Answer. Higher income strategy. I'll retire comfortably. Thanks to Arab Halaby. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arab makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. The Total Financial Hour is pre recorded and brought to you by Total Financial Solutions. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.